0: Welcome back to the Live 8033 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Christ and give current events eternal perspective. As always, I'm your host, George Helowa. So when I was in junior high, I was a fan of the band Def Leppard. That kind of gives you an idea of how old I am. I'm not too proud to say that they influenced my fashion sense for a little while. And uh, ripped jeans and numerous bandanas were a brief part of my ensemble. Chances are uh, we've all had an outfit or a haircut because we saw it on someone else and we thought, hey, that would look great on me, right? So Farrah Fawcett's iconic locks, the, the Rachel haircut from Friends, George Clooney's style from his younger ER days. You remember, he used to be on TV. Chances are something about our style was copied from someone else that we saw, which makes us, if you think about it, someone's fashion disciple. Now, every time I share this podcast, I hope that someone will hear something that they need to hear. Now, I've been teaching through the book of Mark, and we've been focusing on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. See, even that word disciple carries with it some gravitas or some some deeper meaning. And so as part of a series we're calling Follow Me, we're looking at what it means to walk with Jesus in order to learn to be like Jesus. So I invite you to join me on this journey. And thanks for taking the time to listen. In 1991, Bernie Pitzel, he sat down at a restaurant in Chicago. And these are the words he wrote, if you didn't catch them on the video. Sometimes I dream that he is me. You've got to see, that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove like Mike. If I could be like Mike. Again, I try just need to fly for just one day if i could be that way i dream i groove i dream i move like mike if i could be like mike so the original one that was unabashedly uh, if you watch the original version which i'll i can play for you at the end it says be like mike drink gatorade so i like gatorade Gatorade too but it's not going to make me uh shoot a a fadeaway three-pointer i can tell you that right now So these were the lyrics, these were the lyrics to Gatorade's 1992 multi-million dollar ad campaign featuring, of course, basketball player Michael Jordan. The ads, as you saw, featuring these young kids trying to play like Michael Jordan were a huge hit, made Gatorade a lot of money, primarily because in those days, everybody wanted to be like Mike. All right. In those days, sales of the number 23 jerseys dominated every other number, uh, and every high school or college player who could would wear... Number 23 because everyone wanted to to be like Mike. Even LeBron James, who some argue is better than Michael Jordan, and some some people are wrong, of course. But <laughs> he said he's the one who said that he wears 23 to honor Michael Jordan. Uh, he was the inspiration for almost every modern day basketball player, and the jersey 23 will likely always be associated with with him. In fact, the Miami Heat even who who Jordan never played for in Miami Heat have actually retired number 23 for Michael Jordan. Now, it's incredible to think how one man could inspire a generation to be better than they are and and who actually set a new standard for greatness that so many people are still trying to measure up to. Uh, One man impacted that game so much that years after he left the game, he's still spoken of in in reverent tones. His accomplishments are legendary. (laughs) His exploits unparalleled, and it's unfortunate that the farther away we get from the time people actually got to watch him do his thing, that there are conversations that he wasn't as good as they say, or that things were simply different then. But for those who witnessed it, they know, they know. Now, we could, of course, be talking about Michael Jordan, but who we're really talking about here, we're talking about Jesus. Think about this. He, He inspired generations. We are still trying to measure up. Jesus is still spoken of in reverent tones, even by many of his detractors. And while nobody else could accomplish what he did, the further we get away from that time, the more people seem to think that Jesus and his ways are overrated, okay? But for those of us who are saved by the blood of Jesus, he is the model of our life. He is the cornerstone that we base our daily existence around. And as God's people, the church, we are called to be, to be like Christ. I mean, I want to be like Christ. In fact, the term Christian, the term Christian indicates one who is Christ-like or it was a, a follower of Christ. And that is the goal of believers, isn't it, right? To be Christ-like. Ephesians 1.13 says us that God's plan for us is that, to, that we would all attain, that we would all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So to be a Christian, right, is someone who is measured by the standard as Jesus. And last week when, when our speaker was here, he, said, he defined a Christian as someone who is forgiven by accepting the full measure of God's grace at the cross of Christ. And the expectation then is that the forgiven person will live in a way that demonstrates not only that they are sorry for the actions that, they, that needed forgiveness in the first place, but that they will not continue to live that way, which is what we would call repentance, right? I'm sorry for what I did, which means I'm not going to do it anymore. So when I call myself a Christian, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying that, one, I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. that I, Number two, I've repented of the sins that I need forgiveness for. And number three, Jesus is the new standard of my life. So there's kind of a working definition of being a Christian. All right? So oddly enough, though, did you know that the word Christian only appears in Scripture three times? It's only in the Bible three times. In fact... Uh, it, when Acts 11.26 says this, it says, in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Did you know that it wasn't a compliment? It wasn't a compliment. It was, and We didn't name ourselves. They were called Christians by other people. It was a term of derision from their, de, from their detractors, but it was one that the church turned into a badge of honor. 1 Peter 4.16, Peter says this, yet if anyone suffers for being a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, right? So this is cool. So if you are, if you suffer for being a Christian as a name of mockery, then glorify God by living in a Christ-like fashion. Now, so there was a time when being a nerd or a geek was a bad thing, right? It was viewed like a derogatory, you like nerd. Now we're like, that's right, you know. Now it's a big, now it's a big thing. There used to be a website called Think Geek, and you know. All, it's just this idea that you are, uh, that it's cool, you know, well, thank you to the Big Bang Theory for making, you know, nerds cool, all uh, right? And so over the years, right, the name of, uh, has taken a, in the 80s there was, a, there was a movie called Revenge of the Nerds, and it was supposed to be, it was a derogatory term, but now, over the years, the name has taken this positive turn, usually associated with someone of high intelligence or unique passions, Right? Nerd or geek, you let your geek flag fly, you do what you got to do. It's a good time to be a geek. Now, here's the thing. Christian was a name that the early church had placed upon them, but then one that they totally and proudly owned as a testament to their Savior. Acts 26, after preaching the gospel to King Agrippa, uh, Agrippa interrupts Paul and says, Do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? And Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am, except for these chains. It's in Acts 26. So in other words, he's like, you don't think I'd be a Christian, do you? Is that what Agrippa is saying? Like, ooh, gross. And Paul says, yeah, I do think you should be a Christian. I think everyone in this room should be a Christian because it's awesome. But where the word Christian appears only three times in the text, there's another word used of the followers of Jesus. And that word is disciple. And that word, if Christian only appears three times, that word disciple appears over 250 times to describe the followers of Christ. So when we read the Great Commission of Matthew 28, it regales us not to make Christians, right? It doesn't say go and make Christians. It says go and make disciples of all nations. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now look, there's nothing wrong with being known as a Christian. I'm proudly calling call myself a Christian as long as it's genuinely true. I mean, I feel like the word Christian could indicate a little bit of finality. You know, I've arrived, I am Christ-like. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Uh, But there are many because, but here's the thing with the word Christian, there are many people who claim to be a Christian who are nothing like Christ. And so the word kind of gets cheapened. The word kind of gets watered down. But disciple, this idea of being a disciple, it goes to the core of our identity, all right? Not just who we are, but who we want to be and who we want to be like. It it defines our journey. It challenges us to continue to look to our master for guidance. And I will say this, that you cannot be a genuine Christian, one who is Christ-like, unless you are a genuine disciple first, okay? You can't be a genuine Christian, a person who is Christ-like, unless you are a genuine disciple of Christ first, So let's define that. I mean, the definition of disciple is this. Uh, It's a person who is a pupil or an adherent uh, of the doctrines of another. So in Mark chapter 1, and as we go through this series, we're going to jump into in and out of Mark quite a bit. We see Jesus calling the first disciples, and it goes like, the story goes like this. Uh, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And then going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and they followed Jesus. So here were these men that Jesus invited into his life, and that he challenged to something bigger, with two simple words, follow me. See, over and over and over again, Jesus reached out to people with this phrase, an offer of something greater than the life that they were living right now. See, this is significant because uh, up to this point, the men who would be the disciples of Christ and ultimately the 12 apostles, I mean, they had their own lives. And there's no indication in the Bible uh, that they were spiritually minded, that that they were educated, and we'll actually see that in a little bit, uh, they come from various walks of life all across the social and the political spectrum. They had, they, had, they had Simon the Zealot in there. They had Matthew the tax collector in there. These guys were diametrically opposed to each other socially and politically. As we spend time with them in the scripture, we're going to find that they weren't exactly management material by any stretch of the imagination. They were, they were barely entry-level material. Now, John MacArthur, he makes this observation. He says, the disciples were selfish, proud, weak, and cowardly. They showed little potential even for dependability, much less for greatness. Yet Jesus chose him as disciples, even to be his inner circle of 12. They were the raw material he would make into useful instruments. See, we know from the other gospels as we read that when Jesus approached them with this call to follow me, that they were looking for something more. They were ready for something more. They were hoping for the Messiah, and Jesus showing up on the scene was not a surprise. All the prophecies were pointing to this. So when Jesus showed up, there was always this sense that he might be the guy. And as we follow their journey through the book of Mark, we're going to learn quite a bit about it, what it means to follow Jesus, what it's like to be a disciple. See, from their journey, we can start to see our own path as we answer the call of Jesus to, to follow me. But I want to give you two words besides follow me. I want to give you two words today to help define discipleship for us as we kind of go this way. And the first word I want to give you is a word called followership. Disciples are followers. It's not a real word. I made it up. That's why the hyphen's in there, okay? Disciple indicates followership. Mark 1, 18 and 20, they show the response to Jesus' call. It says, what does it say? It says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So they left their father Zebedee uh, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Look at that. They left. They got up. They left what they were doing. Immediately, there wasn't a whole lot of like, okay, let me, put the, let me put the boat away. They were out. They were up and they were out. That's something else. So there's a motivational speaker who was in Nashville one time giving a talk to a room full of people when all of a sudden he asked everyone to stand up and meet him outside because he had something very important that he wanted to tell them. So everyone in this theater all of a sudden gets up, follows this guy outside, and they found themselves uh, crowded around the speaker on a busy Nashville sidewalk. And here was the lesson this motivational speaker was giving to this room full of leaders. People want to be led. People want to be taken somewhere. Even if it's just outside. People want someone to lead them and, and, and show them the path. And this is true, isn't it, right? We, we desire leadership. We desire vision. We want people in our life who, who know where they're going. We want guides to take us to places that we're unable to find ourselves. I and mean, it's easy to follow someone when you think they know where they're going. So why we all have map apps on our phone that hopefully tell us how to get where we're going. And here's the thing, you cannot be a disciple, you can't be a disciple without having a leader, right? That's just a simple truth. Uh, this creates this relationship dynamic where the leader, who in this case is Christ, is responsible for the development of the followers. So Jesus offered Andrew, Simon, James, and John the promise of something bigger and greater than their vocation, something better than fish. He says, you're fishing now? I'll make you fishers of men. Come with me. So they would learn from him. They would work and walk with him. And a true disciple will recognize the value inherent to the person they choose to be their mentor. They will recognize that the mentor's goal is to improve their life. And if the disciple can wrap their mind around this idea that when all is said and done, when the process is over, that when the end of the road is reached, they will be a different person, they will gladly get up and go because followers follow, Okay. Now, the truth is, every one of us looks for guides and leaders. And if we're honest, we are all a disciple of someone. Maybe it's in our jobs. Maybe it's in our relationships. Even in our fashion and our hobbies. All right? Everybody takes their cues from somebody somewhere along the line, someone they've seen go down that path and say, I want to be like that. I want to learn from them like that. And they, they, they pursue this example. And so we want to be where they are or at least end up maybe with some of the same results. And so we look for their footprints and we try to take the same steps. So, you know, we, we want to be like Mike, right? Gener- that Be Like Mike campaign, those things let a generation of kids to stand around their basketball courts doing fadeaway jumpers for, for years, all right? Notice nobody wanted to be like Shaq because that guy couldn't make a free throw to save his life, but they wanted to be, they wanted to be like Mike, all right? So here's the thing. If we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to follow Jesus, then this is what we need to do. We need to go where Jesus went. We need to do the things that Jesus did, and we need to love who Jesus loved, all right? Go where Jesus went, do the things Jesus did, and love who Jesus loved. In 1996, Pastor and author Charles Sheldon wrote a short novel called In His Steps. Now, you may not have heard of the book In His Steps, but I guarantee you know the question it raised. You might even have the bracelet. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? First of all, I probably wouldn't sell a million bracelets asking that question. That's just hypothetical. But it's another story. But it's a valid question, isn't it? It's a valid question uh, because as disciples, we need to consider the question of emulating the person we want to be like. So here's the question. Where did Jesus go, what did Jesus do, and who did Jesus love? If we're going to follow him, then we need to go where he went, do the things he did, and love the way he loved. To answer the first question, where did Christ go, John 4, 4 says that he had to go through Samaria. And who was in Samaria? It was the woman at the well. Now, if you know the story, Jews and Samarians, they didn't mix, but Jesus had to go. People used to go around Samaria. They would avoid the whole town just to not have to deal with this. But Jesus, the Bible says, It was needed, it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And as a result, he encountered the woman at the well. He intentionally and purposely went through territory that most people avoided in order to what? To impact a life and to impact a community. As the second question, what did Christ do? Mark 10.45 sums up the mission of Jesus, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 17 even finds him ministering to lepers, right? The greatest outcasts. No one was off limits to the Lord's compassion because he made people his mission. And so then you got the third question, who who did Christ love? Who did Jesus love? It's revealed in Matthew 9. It says, And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so Jesus hung out with the sick so he could offer healing. See, the, ch- the challenge for us is this. Sometimes we follow, G- you know, when we want to follow Jesus, we don't like where he's going. Or we don't like going where he went. Or, or doing what he did. Or even loving who he Loved, it's it's outside of our uh, of our comfort zone, but to be like the one we're following, we can't go our own do it go our own way or do it our own, own way. Author Bob Goff puts it this way: Our problem following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us, rather than a more accurate reflection of Him. The problem following Jesus is we're trying to be a better version of us, rather than a more accurate reflection of Him. So as a disciple of Jesus, am I following him or am I just trying to find my own way? So being a disciple demands followership, but being a disciple also indicates fellowship, okay? Discipleship happens up close. Not just going after Jesus, right, which is fellowship, but being with Jesus. So in the book of Acts, Jesus is ascended, right? He has gone up to to heaven. He's back to heaven. The disciples are now the apostles and in charge of the ministry of the church. They're boldly preaching Christ. You could almost say that they've graduated the discipleship program. The Lord has put them in charge. He says, when I'm gone, you'll do even greater works than me, which is a pretty powerful statement coming from Jesus. They spend so much time with Jesus that he rubbed off on them and the mission and the message that Christ brought, they now taught. And it says in Acts 4.13, it says, now when they, the Pharisees, saw the boldness of Peter and John who were preaching in the temple, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And I don't think it just means that they saw, oh, yeah, I saw Jesus walking, you were walking with Jesus. I think it's, they could understand that there was a difference in their life because of the time that they had spent with Jesus, because of the intimacy and the closeness they had spent with Jesus. They may not have been, Formally educated, they may not have come from blue co- and they may have come from blue collar backgrounds, but the time they spent with Jesus transformed them. Look, like I know plenty of uneducated people who are closer to God than scholars because instead of time in books, they spent time with the Lord. So, how think of this? How powerful a testimony can could we have if we were recognized as people that had been with Jesus? Well, so how do we do that? Right. How, how, do we, how do we have fellowship with Jesus? How do we be with Jesus? I mean, how do we spend time with Him? I mean, the disciples, they had the advantage of the physical presence of the Lord. They were with Him. I mean, for three years, they were just walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and eating with Jesus. That'd be awesome, right? I'd love to have dinner with Jesus and just kind of see how that works out. And, um, but think about this when Jesus went back to heaven, they were in the same boat we're in. And, and, and now we have some pretty amazing tools at our disposal as well. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Bible. We have the community of saints known as the church. And let me give you some examples. We can connect with God and connect with Jesus through prayer. I know that sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's a Sunday school truth. All right? Talking, journaling, sitting quietly and listening because our spirit in us communes with God's Holy Spirit. I think we undervalue prayer. I don't think we pray enough. I think we're afraid to, to start praying. I don't know what it is. Just pray. Just talk to God because guess what? He's listening. In fact, the Bible says that he leans down, he inclines his ears to his children. And so there's no excuse not to pray because God's always listening. He's not going to ignore us. He's not going to avoid us, but we can connect with God through prayer. The next thing we do is this. It's through reading the word of God. A a gift, indeed, the Bible is a gift that reveals the hearts and the plans of the Lord. You know, people all the time say that they want to hear from God, and it turns out he never stopped talking. John eight thirty one. when Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You want to know what God thinks? Guess what? He probably already told you. Go find it. There's amazing things called concordances. So many books that people have just broken down the Bible. I want to know what God thinks about this. You can find it. So through prayer, through the word of God, the next way to have fellowship is through community, all right? The church is God's instrument on earth to further his messages in the kingdom of God. And since the Holy Spirit resides in all of us who call Christ Savior, we all bring a part of Jesus to the table. And the strength, the accountability, the teaching, and the fellowship we experience in the church is a way that we remain in fellowship with God. Now, Jesus, he talked about the importance of true fellowship and true fellowship, And as he's preparing to go to the cross, he tells his disciples this. He says, remain in me, Okay, abide in me, remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. Well, what's the so what? Here it is. There are no accidental disciples. There are no accidental disciples. Jesus didn't stumble onto his disciples hey, you guys look good. Why don't you come with me? All right? He intentionally called them, inviting them to, into something beyond themselves. And we are not going to stumble into fellowship with God, nor are we going to happen to go do and love like Jesus without doing it on purpose. See, our goal over the next couple of weeks as we go through the series is to paint the picture of what a disciple looks like so we have a clear picture of what our lives Should look like. And so we're going to use the Gospel of Mark as a jumping off point to see how Jesus challenged his followers and how they responded. But there's something that we need to be acutely aware of in this conversation Jesus' call to follow him comes with a promise that we're going somewhere. I think we all like that idea. God's, I'm going to go somewhere with Jesus. And going after something usually means leaving something else behind. And that's where a lot of people get stuck. I mean, Andrew and Peter left their nets. James and John left their father in the boat. I want to know how that conversation went. Yeah, just, just thinking in my head, was, was dad like all on board? Yeah, go with Jesus. That's awesome. Some of you have parents like that. And, or was it, where are you guys going? Some of you have parents like that too, all right? Matthew, we'll see here next week, left his tax collecting booth. And he was probably making good money doing it. Because they were convinced that following Jesus and remaining in fellowship with Jesus would take them further than they ever could go alone. And, and, and we, we could ask, how could they do that? Why, why would they do that? Why would they make this decision? We're going to talk about that next week, right? And, it's, and, and give you a glimpse into next week. But it's this truth that disciples are, are people who are ready for change. But they must have believed that where Jesus wanted to take them was better than where they were. But today, what we need to do is we need to to purpose in our hearts not only to be known as Christians, all right, but to live as disciples. And Jesus challenged a lot of people to follow him. And you know what? Not everyone went. Not everyone, time Jesus said, follow me, did people drop everything and go? Sometimes they made excuses. Sometimes they drugged their feet. And not everyone was willing to be led somewhere. So so how about you? I mean, how about me, right? Uh, Will we follow Jesus? Will we fellowship with Jesus? Because I promise you, If we do, he will take us places in our life that we never imagined. Now, I know that I will never get to be like Mike, but I love knowing that I could be like Christ. Well, I hope after that you have a better idea of what it means to be a disciple, not just a Christian. Anybody can call themselves a Christian but a disciple because being a disciple is so much bigger well as always if you'd like to know more about a relationship with jesus christ about being one of his disciples if you have thoughts you have comments you just want to say hi email us at live8033 at gmail.com and if you liked what you heard today or you think someone else needs to hear it number one be sure to subscribe and number two share it with your friends our music today is by Lee Rosevere. You can check out his stuff at the free musicarchive.org. And as always, my name is George Helawa. You've been listening to the Live AD 33 podcast, where we want to live in view of the cross of Jesus Christ and give current events eternal perspective. God bless you.